this week on This Week in Blurns Ball. Not in no guilty scent! Loud noises! I am the man with no name. Zap Brannigan at your service. Welcome to This Week in Blurns Ball, where our pin number is the same as a large cheese pizza and a soda at Panucci's Pizza, 1077. I'm your co-host, Ben Bloom, and with me, as always, is fellow co-host Jacob Morris. And right away, leading, starting off with today's episode, I just have two words to say to you. Not in a guilty sense. Finally, some more baseball news that we can talk about, and... You know, at the beginning of this podcast, uh, the very first episodes, we were like, oh, God, Astros News cheating scandal again. And now, episode 13, we're like, hooray, cheating scandal again, because there's baseball news to actually talk about. It's funny how the tables turn. Absolutely. And we might have to put an asterisk on calling this a cheating scandal because they were found not guiltish. I. It's it's a weird it's a, so what happened so the Red Sox they some people say got off easy I say got off vindicated <laughs> but the the punishment that was handed down from Major League Baseball in their investigation to the Boston Red Sox was much much milder because they had found according to their investigation a much less lesser degree of purported cheating that they did with the Astros. Like my legalese with that intro? Yeah, nice legalese there. Uh, so, yeah, based on what the report says, it seems that it is a lot... I'm going to use the term less bad here, uh, where it's being relayed not from a monitor in the dugout, essentially, by banging on a trash can so that the guy can hear you, but it's being relayed from the uh, from the booth guy to the dugout, to the guy on second base, to the batter. So it only really works if there's a guy on base. It's a lot less shifty. Uh, and if that's what we're going for, less shifty, and that's the bar we have to clear, yes, it's less bad. Uh, and that means the punishment is less severe because it's less shifty, I guess. Yes, that's vindication. <laughs> vindication! Untainted championship. Take that, Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, granted, they still have claim to the 2017 <laughs> World Series, but that's a different story. They Remember that 18-inning game in the 2018 World Series? Oh, my. That was one that hell was of a awesome. baseball game. That was amazing. And the 2018 was, World Series was a lot of fun. That um, was a great playoff run, man. And now that, you know, there's no guilt associated with it, it's even better. Uh, now, what I was surprised by is that there's no mention of Alex Cora in this report. Um, now, you know, you can say, well, it was the booth guy, but... There has to be some culpability of the management in this because they can relay the signals all they want down from the booth. If they don't relay them out to the guy on second or they don't say, yes, it's okay that we keep doing this, the whole thing falls apart. Uh, I think part of it, though, might be that MLB decided that his punishment was getting fired. You see, but that's the interesting thing. He could, I mean, I know if you follow, like, the Bastool and Section 10 guys on Twitter, they're like, he's coming back 2021. I don't, I, I'm not ruling that out. Like, there's, at this point, if, like, A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunho may not be hired back by the Astros, but they're going to be getting a job in Major League Baseball at some point once their suspension is lifted. Cora, why not? He already knows the team. Like, I mean, and that's nothing against Ron Renneke. Like, I like Ron Renneke is like one of those 
you know, like baseball managerial lifers and someone who, yes, should be getting another shot at like managing uh, a pro team. And if there even is a season, I'd be interested to see how he does. But in my head, Cora comes back and Mookie comes back and we forget that this all happened, right? Yeah, well, on that topic, what the hell is happening with this 2020 season? Because uh, even in just in terms of the suspensions, yeah, okay, great, you were suspended for the 2020 season. Well, what is the 2020 season, right? Uh <laughs> And there was some very interesting legal dialogue I saw. Uh, it was on Beyond the Box Score uh, about what actually might happen to the 2020 season, even in the event that some sort of Lake Havasu Classic goes on. Uh, so there's language in the standard player contract that says, in the event of something like this happening, uh, players get paid a prorated salary based on the length of the season. So if they were to, say, play an 81-game season, the players, you would take their salary number, divide it by 162, and then multiply that by 81, and that's their salary for the season. But there's language that then further extends that, and it says it's it's fuzzy, it's all written in legalese, but basically it says, based on the value that the management feels is fair for this event. So if the management, the ownership, were to say, well, no, because we're playing in front of empty stadiums, the revenue is actually so much lower that you should be getting only, say, 30% of your contract value. Would the players walk away from that? It's it's a really interesting scenario, and honestly, like, I, I may be in the minority here, but at this point, I would be okay if just there was a definitive statement of seasons canceled. There's so, there's so much unpredictability right now with the so-called real world issues that honestly, I mean, I know that that's like, that's, it might be flip flippant to say, but at some point the risk of a second, third wave has to outweigh professional sports right like i that's I, I i i even in that scenario what happens with player compensation yeah i mean there's part of me that says you bring back sports because it is part of getting society back on its feet you look at what happened post 9-11 where they were playing baseball games a week later and it helped bring everybody together but then there's another part of me that says there's so much more important stuff right now than getting sports back. Uh, and it's really about... Even with 9 Sorry. Sorry. You know, but yeah, the 9-11 metaphor doesn't fit, I think is what you were going to say, because 9-11 wasn't a spreadable disease. No, that's the thing. That's the thing. I was actually going to, like, on top of that, say the 9-11 is, you know, apt because technically... They didn't know that, you know, there wasn't a stadium attack planned, God forbid. Like, like there's, they, like, security went up at just about, like, has gone up in, tremendously at, you know, major sporting venues, partly due to 9-11. I mean, like, even, like, in, like, even the movie The Sum of All Fears, like, they attacked the Super Bowl in Baltimore. Like, like, like it, it was a risk to... Like people, because there, because of the unknown, it could be perceived as a risk to have people back in sporting stadiums after a major terrorist event. I know that terrorism and viruses operate on different, you know, timetables, but that's a different discussion. Honestly, like, what happens if you know, like, pro league pro leagues bring back, like, you know, like a modified season? And even one person gets infected, like... You gotta shut the whole thing down. It's the patient zero effect. That's why the NBA shut down once Rudy Gobert tested positive. And, I mean, not that we're a basketball podcast, but what a moron. The the two days after touching all of the microphones. I... Oh, my God. Uh, But enough... And there's speculation... There's speculation that it cost him a relationship with his all-star teammate, Donovan Mitchell... Yeah, but it's it's just so, so heavy to think about. And enough yeah. kind of about the sad stuff, 
Let's talk about yeah. baseball movies instead. Absolutely. Now, for those of you just joining the podcast, what? No, you didn't want to listen before? We've been doing the This Week in Ball movie madness bracket to still talk about baseball, still have some competition. And we've had some great matchups breaking down the 30 best baseball movies and two wildcard entries of Homer at the Bat and Alila of their own because of their baseball cinematic significance. And this week, this week things are going to get nasty because we have some of the most heated, controversial matchups, and there may be yelling on this, so be prepared. You may wish to turn down the volume on your podcast now. So the first one we're going to start with is Six Seed, Eight Man Out, against Wild Card Entry, Homer at the Bat. Uh, oh, that is difficult right off. That Oh my, you're talking about one of the formative Simpsons episodes of the of the Simpsons versus a like one of baseball's greatest stories. It's one of baseball's greatest stories. It's one of baseball's greatest movies. It's one of the greatest sports movies ever made, regardless of how truthful the adaption of the story might be. And that's one of the issues I take with Eight Men Out. There is it is not a particularly truthful adaption of the story of the Black Sox scandal. Uh, there are great liberties taken with the story. It is particularly management-friendly. Uh, it really makes the players come off as jerks. It really makes Shoeless Joe Jackson come off as a bit of a rube and a bit complicit when most of the evidence states things to the contrary. But that said, it's such a great movie. It's got Charlie Sheen, peak Charlie Sheen in it. Uh, he was in a lot of baseball movies. I know. like He's like, he's like if Kevin Costner was... He's like the uh, chaotic, uh, like the lawful, like the chaotic evil of Kevin Costner's, you know, neutral good. Fair assessment. Uh, but it's it's a terrific, terrific movie. Uh, My one thing about the veracity and the accuracy, I mean, this movie came out in the mid to late 80s. I believe it was the early 90s. I think it was 91, 92. Okay, so around that era, that's still... And we've still had, we've since had, you know, like more scholarly research. And it was based off of, you know, some pretty, like, you know, pretty, you know, like, like playing fast and loose with the truth reporting from that time, as well as some books that came out that, you know, it was operating off of, you know, iffy source material, but produced a bang on movie, whereas we've seen other movies based on completely libelous source material that turn into terrible movies. This was actually executed really well, even with the truth not quite being there. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, and I'm judging the truth of the source material with a modern eye. You're correct. Uh, one of my favorite baseball books of all time is Say It Ain't So, uh, which is the the definitive source on Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh and it really points out, here's all of the reasons why Eight Man Out is entirely incorrect in its portrayal of Shoeless Joe. There's an entire chapter devoted to that. <laughs> uh, so it colors my perception of this film. That said, it's a phenomenal feat of filmmaking. It's phenomenally detailed. Oh, it's phenomenally well put together. It's phenomenally acted. The dad from Frasier plays Comiskey to the note. Oh, man, John Mahoney is a legend. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, oh, it's hard to argue that movie because if you're looking at it in a certain light, it's the prequel to Field of Dreams. Whoa. <laughs> Think about it that way, and then suddenly you're like, what, we're going to you know like push that over for a 22-minute cartoon? But we just might because... Those 22 minutes transformed The Simpsons. Yeah, oh my gosh. So just the very feat of them putting together Homer at the Bat deserves its own ESPN 30 for 30 special. They got nine of the top baseball players of the era all together to record this episode. It's, it's the who's who of baseball in the early 90s 
all, I would say, in one room, but that's not how recording a cartoon works. Uh, to pull off these parts, it's back before The Simpsons really made a thing out of doing celebrity cameos, and it all works. It's terrific. You get this hilarious episode out of guys who aren't really known for doing comedy. And you know what? They made it work because it was clever. It had it had just objectively good Simpsons jokes in it. It was a great baseball story in and of itself. I mean, it parodied enough things to make it to make it, you know, like, oh, I get what they're referencing here. And then also it had, you know, one of the greatest assessments of softball. <laughs> You know, uh, the fourth inning is the beer inning. If you get to first base, chug a beer. Hey, we know how to play softball. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's, it, there's a reason why we put it in this bracket. It's a formative baseball work. Um, that said, it's eight men out we've put it up against. Uh, and uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, we keep coming back to the athletics ratings of the top 100 mov- sports movies of all time. Eight Men Out's ranked number 53. Which I still think it's with. It, it's ranked number... 53? 5-3. 53. 53rd best sports movie of all time. Now, do I think they might have ranked that a little high? Yes. But it's it, it's a really, really good movie. Uh, it's, and, and, it, and it chalks up high on the rewatchable scale... In terms of yeah, I would turn that on and watch it and and, and enjoy it. Like it's we, we put it in a really this is one of the those early round college games that you don't know who's gonna take it because that wild card is wild, man. Yeah, and it's a real wild wild card because this is a movie that we've both loved, uh, and it's also a it's a TV show we both love and it's an episode of a TV show that we both love. This is like if man if you're going to make me choose I can't but it's definitely one of my top 10 <laughs> Simpsons episodes of all time. But but 1 through 10 are all interchangeable pretty much. It depends on how I'm feeling that day. Except for you only moved twice. That is the undisputed number 1 Simpsons episode in human history. Scorpio this thing you with his dream. We, we make this point every episode. <laughs> yeah, this is this has shown up a few times. But here's the question: Who moves on? You know what? I think that Homer Homer at the bat turned the show from the Bart show to the Homer show. That is fair. This is this is why I think is- that shape so much but yeah go ahead <laughs> that is fair it is one of those definitive turning point episodes where it went from being about bart to about homer but we're talking about a baseball movie that is about one of the formative points in baseball history all right so let's 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 answer it as simply as possible which had a greater impact on sports movies slash television Oh, well, if we're talking about a greater overall impact in their genre, it's Homer at the Bat. Homer at the Bat changed the game for cartoons. Eight Men Out is just another sports movie. It was a very good sports movie, but it's just another one. You don't have... I don't think you have Futurama, period, if, you'd have, if you don't have Homer at the Bat. I don't think you have 27 or whatever it is now, Seasons of the Simpsons, and going if you don't have Homer at the Bat. It was a game changer. And the reason why I'm leaning that way as well is because 25 years after Homer at the Bat, they they pretty, they did they they did a like a, there was a whole lot of chatter and a whole look back special about it. Eight Men Out didn't get that treatment. I know it's difficult. You're comparing apples and oranges. You know what? I, I, I'm putting the wild card through, and with apologies to Charlie Sheen, this is this was this was a tough one for this, me personally. This Thoughts? is a very tough one. Oh man, I've got to concur with you that it's Homer at the bat. But this is one of those 
the underdog comes through with the clutch three-pointer at the end of regulation, beating the buzzer, and the crowd goes wild kind of things. It is... Or, you know, the batter gets plunked on the head and while trying to read the signs from Mr. Burns and, you know, bases loaded wins the game. Cut down the nets, the crowd goes wild. Yeah, one shining moment after all. And now we go across the bracket to the other six versus wild card. And this one, this one, we may have some, we may have some bias issues because our entire podcast is named after the sport depicted in the wild card, <laughs> Blurns Ball. So it's a Leela of her own, where Leela becomes the first female Blurns Ball player versus Bang the Drum Slowly, which has Robert freaking De Niro and just a really tragic all-time, like, excellent 70s movie story. Yeah, and it's Robert De Niro, like, pre-De Niro De Niro, Robert De Niro. This was just before Mean Streets came out, and he became a thing. But he is acting up a storm in it. Uh, but then on the other side, it's a Leela of her own. It's the definitive Learns Ball episode. It's... it's I want to see some fundamentals and not clown fundamentals. It's I've been training with uh, Hank Aaron. It's hit the ball here and win the game. It's it's got so many moments in it that are just terrific, terrific Futurama moments. Uh, Bang the drum slowly is a terrific drama. And that's... That's what makes it so difficult. I mean, I haven't seen a debate like this since the days of Bob Euchre. This is Bob Euchre's head saying, thanks for coming out. And yeah, you have Bob Euchre playing Bob Euchre. You've got the new New York Mets with all the whole numbers retired. Uh, you have uh, you have the Signoid Pizza subplot. <laughs> um, but again, you have just, you, you have a movie about the literal New York Yankees, I believe. Uh, yeah. No, they're the mammoths. They were the mammoths. They're a stand-in yeah. for the Mets, but they wore Yankee uniforms. It was very strange. It, but the point was, every time you watch that movie, you're just, like, you're gutted. And, like, and then part of you starts thinking about Thurman Munson and then tearing up. And, like, I know... Thurman Munson has nothing to do with that movie, but seeing, you know, like, the tr- the drama on the pinstripes, and you're just like, oh, damn. Like, it's a very emotionally evocative movie, and on story alone, like, this was, this was pre-Slapshot, so sports movies, like, weren't a thing. Like, there were, there, there were, there were other movies that had sports in them, and The Hustler doesn't count, because, I mean, I, I still think billiards is a game, not a sport. I concur. Uh, but there's also, and I think this is why I'm going to vote Bang the Drum Slowly over the top here. Not only is it a phenomenal drama, it's a phenomenal snapshot of baseball in the late 60s, early 70s. It has some of the best footage that we have of Yankee Stadium pre-73 renovation. It has some of the only footage we have of early uh, of early 60s Shea. It has some of the best footage we have of pre reno RFK Stadium. It, it's a time capsule of baseball in that era because of how they shot and assembled this movie. Yeah, and on that alone, you, you got to think of it as a great movie. And then it just delivers like a knockout, excellent plot, top-notch acting, like... God, are, are we betraying ourselves by not picking like another cartoon to go through? No, this is this is this is a clean victory. I, I I gotta say. No, it's a clean victory, and it won on its merits here. Uh, Alila of her own is a great Futurama episode, but it's just that it's a Futurama episode, and we put it up against one of the all-time dramas. And that's, and it's going to be going into potentially another you know, very intriguing matchup. And I'm sure we'll have the knives out whenever that gets settled. But right now, I feel like we have some serious business to discuss in the 7 versus 10 matchup. Yeah, now let's save the real big one for the end, because I feel like we're going to be going for a long time on that one. 
So let's, so let's go with the fun one. Let's go with the fun one. The rookie versus rookie of the year, which I think we seeded them up against each other specifically because they both have the word rookie in their title. That is correct. And we're comparing two very different types of rookies. Now, the rookie, which we put in at number seven, it's the real, the true story of Jim Morris. No relation. No, no relation. <laughs> and no relation to the Canadian press writer of the same name because, you know, it's the same name. <laughs> and Jim Morris, who just, who tries to break into pro baseball, like, in his mid-30s, I believe. Yeah, uh, mid mid to late 30s. Goes to yeah, an open he's tri- getting up there. Yeah, goes to an open tryout for the Devil Rays and makes it. And he, he's teaching... He's teaching high school chemistry in the middle of Texas. He's, you know, like he's the high school baseball coach with the little kid from Two and a Half Men tagging along. Yeah. Now, part of what makes this movie so great is that it's two great sports movies in one. There's the first part of the movie where he's the high school chemistry teacher who washed out of minor league ball, coaching the high school baseball team, who's a bunch of sad sacks, and he helps them turn it around and win the state championship. And then in the second half of the movie, because he made this bet with the team that he would go and try and get back into pro ball if they won the state championship, he then goes and gets himself back into pro ball and ends up becoming the closer for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. It's two great sports stories in one story. And then they they wrap it all up in this incredible scene at the old ballpark at Arlington, which is weird to say that they had to build a new ballpark at Arlington. Old ballpark at Arlington, they have they they essentially simulate re, like they recreate this guy's like debut. Um, they have his family in the crowd. They have like the the high school team watching back home. They have actual Royce Clayton come up to bat. Like they it weave in the broadcast, and it's like this was like this was like part of the early two thousands era of Disney sports movies. Like, Miracle came out, like, contemporaneously with this. I mean, later on they did Invincible. This one stands up as just, like, Disney-ness aside. That's just a really compelling sports movie. It, it absolutely is. And it's a great, great story to it. Uh, and if it wasn't true, I would say, oh, that's so outlandish. There's no way he could do that. Like, all you're doing is recycling the Gordon Bombay story from the Mighty Ducks. But Ducks fly together. Ducks fly together. But it's true. That's the most outstanding part. It's actually true. I know. I saw Ducks fly together last week. Wait, that wasn't the point you were making, was it? I mean, yes, but no. Uh, <laughs> he actually did the ding-dang thing. Like, that's, that's insane. Uh, and the fact that they were, we, we, we gotta talk about the other side of this shit, like. I mean, I think we know who wins, but let's talk about Rookie of the Year, uh, which I think is everything I wanted to be as a child. Uh, <laughs> Henry Rowan Gardner, diehard Chicago Cubs fan, and is like 12 years old, Breaks his arm, his arm gets reset, but his tendons tighten up because of the angle on which his arm is reset. And when his arm comes out of the cast, he can throw in a 103-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, so he gets signed to play for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the lovable losers. <laughs> and because of this, and uh, he helps rally the team together, and they go on a hot streak, and uh, they become, all of a sudden, a pennant contender. And it was a really entertaining movie. And then the part where his arm renormalizes and he has to figure it out again. Like, it had, like, what you expect from a 90s kids movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I would watch it again. But it's going up against a sleeping giant. Yeah. In The Rookie. The Rookie is, I think The Rookie is my sleeper pick for Could Go All The Way. Like, I mean, I have a different sleeper pick, but things could get interesting once we talk about that. <laughs> Fair enough. But the rookie at seven has a pretty decent shot. Like, just looking at the bracket, looking at what it's going to have to beat to get to, like, the final four, 
it could go all the way based on how we just ranted and raved about it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I haven't watched it in a very long time, and yet I can, like, from memory, like, point out each scene, the colors of the high school team's uniforms. They were the owls. They had yellow. Yeah. And, oh, man, uh, uh, Mr. Cruz from uh, Coach Carter was on that team. He later played Rene Ramirez on Arrow. Like, there's the fact that it's, it's the fact that it's Dennis Quaid and he is like he, he's Dennis Quading it left, right, and center. It's yeah, like he really. This is a, it's a great movie. I kind of want to go home and rewatch it, except I'm already home. <laughs> well, there you go. You're halfway there, man. Yeah, I I know what I'm doing once I finish recording, editing, and uploading this podcast. Getting crazy drunk. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, that too. But getting crazy drunk and watching the rookie. <laughs> Uh, I think we both yeah. know what's moving on here. I believe so. So now can we start arguing? Let's get to it. Great sound up, by the way. That that came in crisp. Yes, it did. I did not know if I was going to get that. And uh, Knuckles <laughs> came through. Awesome. Okay. So it's the Sandlot against Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch moves on. I don't care what you no, say. No, we get the Sandlot here. This is about the Sandlot. Sandlot is a top ten movie of all time. Okay, we should probably not talk at the same time. That was not scripted, ladies and gentlemen. That was genuine emotion. Okay, so do we want to start with Fever Pitch? Do you want to start with Fever Pitch? I want to start with Fever Pitch. For one, it's a Red Sox fan named Ben who falls in love with Drew Barrymore, which is almost the story of my life, but, you know, the other considerations. But besides that, it's guy meets girl. Girl finds out guy actually has a deeper love than their relationship, and it's the Boston Red Sox. And so she, like, like she tries to become a part of his world during what ends up being a pretty monumental Red Sox season, the 2004 Red Sox season, it follows their relationship ups and downs, and uh, it, it becomes like the conflict, and every sports fan has this, between, you know, does does your pro sports team actually love you back? The answer is an emphatic yes. Your sports, the relationships come and go, but the Red Sox are forever, and if my girlfriend is listening to this, I am I, I, so sorry. <laughs> that is not true. You are my number one priority, but... Look, it's the friggin' Red Sox, and the craziest part about this movie—it was supposed to have a different ending. You stole my factoid about this movie. Yeah, ah. I know that. So it was filmed concurrently with the season, and of course, the plan was, like every other season, the Red Sox were going to break his heart, but he finds true love. Eighty-five years, eighty-six, eighty-six years. The script would have ended the original way, but it didn't. The that is just something with the universe, man. And the craziest part, like another crazy part, Jimmy Fallon had to play against type because Jimmy Fallon is a Yankees fan. You know in Gone Girl where Ben Affleck, the story about Gone Girl where Ben Affleck was told wear a Yankees hat and he's like, no, I can't do it. Yeah. And they shut down production because of it and then he, they eventually made him wear a, a Mets hat as a compromise. That is right there a reason to push this through without even discussing any other movie and did i mention did i mention yankee dancing that's some devil ray dancing right there you want to see yankee dancing remember podcasting is an audio medium i was told by one of my profs in j school that radio is the most visual medium there's a reason i'm not working in radio interesting so let's talk about The Sandlot. The Sandlot is perhaps one of the best sports movies, period. In fact, I will go so far as to say movies, period, of all time. It is the great American summertime movie. It is about kids falling in love with the summer, falling in love with baseball, just having a fun time being kids. It is the you know, kids on bikes going to the pool, 
playing baseball in jeans, all-American, summer-loving kind of movie. And not summer-loving... You're loving killing in, me, Smalls! You're killing me, Smalls. I say that in real life. That's where that comes from. But basically, the basics to the plot is Smalls moves to this town. He doesn't know anybody, and he gets to find his social circle and his love of baseball. And it's baseball that brings everybody together. It's kids from disparate backgrounds, different socioeconomic circles. And what brings them all together? Baseball. And I do have a soft spot for Benny the Jet Rodriguez. And also Dennis Leary, one of Boston's greatest exports, is in that movie. <laughs> yes, he is. But Benny the Jet Rodriguez, PF Flyers, Hercules the Dog. I own PF Flyers. Not because of the movie, I just own them. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just about having the greatest summer, and that's something. But you know what's also about having the greatest summer? Going outdoors, playing your own damn baseball games. Fever Pitch brings you something that you can't experience in real life. Well, I, I guess you can if you were around for the two thousand four Boston Red Sox playoff run, and if you saw the uh, original British version with Colin Firth and Arsenal. But don't hold that against the movie because I hold it against the movie when I found out it was a British remake. But think about it. You know what was also a British remake? The Office. You know what else was a British remake? America. So if you don't like this movie, you don't like America. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I don't really like America right now. I think that kind of counts as a point against me. I concede that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so now we have a <laughs> negative point against uh, Fear for Pitch. But yeah, the Sandlot is about... It's a very rose-tinted glasses look at the 1960s. But, of course, that's part of it is the narrator's perspective that he was a kid in the 1960s. Uh, and also, it's got James Earl Jones playing, essentially, Josh Gibson. <laughs> Which, again, James Earl Jones can play any can play any baseball movie character he wants because he's James frickin' Earl frackin' Jones. Like, he... I could see, you know, uh, Josh Gibson actually writing Catcher in the Rye, because why the hell not? <laughs> yeah, and if you think about it that way, this movie is a prequel to Field of Dreams. Ah, shit! <sighs> My god, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> this, and, and this is the hardest one we did. We should have made these to avoid each other in the first round, and this was a bad no, decision. No, we needed this. We needed this. This is cathartic. This is therapeutic. I mean, look, dollars to donuts. People talk about, you know, great baseball movies. Sandlot, unquestionably, is a baseball movie. It's a coming-of-age movie through and through. Is Fever Pitch a baseball movie with a love story, or is it a love story about baseball, or is it a love story alongside baseball? Either way, I would rewatch these any day of the week. I am clearly biased when it comes to this. This is difficult, man, because the Sandlot, oh man, like, it's like Stand By Me without, an, without the dead bodies. And that's, I love Stand By Me. That's exactly what it is. It is Stand By Me without the dead bodies, or it's It without the killer clown. Because it without the killer clown would be a great movie. Because I don't like clowns. There you go. Uh, but Fever Pitch, uh, it takes on a different tone after the Red Sox have won the World Series three times in the last decade. It, it, hey, that don't blame us for winning. That well, sorry I said us. I know I hate it when people be like, "Oh, we did it." It's like, no, I. If I was on the Red Sox, they would lose 162 games. But it's not the Red Sox' fault that they became successful. No, it's not. But in retrospect, it colors the movie differently. It makes Red Sox Nation. A, it it makes Red Sox Nation rather than looking endearing, look a little, uh, shall we say, annoying. Uh, we're not annoying. We're endearing. We're a delicate fucking flower. It's just like how the Cubs in 2016 immediately turned from "Oh, isn't that cute?" to "Oh, that's annoying." Yeah, I guess people realize that, you know, like, they only sell shitty beer at Wrigley and, you know, like, like, having every game be a day game with the Midwest humidity isn't that fun. Yeah. Also, when... Wrigleyville is one of the best places on the planet of Earth. Like, they have batting cages at bars. I'm just going to say it. Like, oh. I, 
yeah, Wrigleyville is an experience. When we went to Chicago specifically to see a game at Wrigley, we got to the stadium like three hours early, and there was not a lack of anything to do. And like, and it, that's different from you know, like taking like the the walk from the walk from the T station to Fenway Park over the Mass Pike, which again to me felt like ascending to the highest plane of Dante's paradise with the light emanating and like the congregants and like the entire Empyrean of it all. And I'm getting way too poetic and Catholic about it, but you got to do it for Fenway. And I, how this, this is just turning into me talking about how much I love the Red Sox. And that, that, that is that we're, we're getting away from the topic ahead. Okay. We got, we have to put one movie through and it's got to be the Sandlot for me. I, I and I like Fever Pitch. It's a really good movie. It's a it's very good rom com, and I don't like rom coms. I find them really you don't not a huge. <laughs> well, me not liking rom coms. Whoever would have thought that? Uh, but it's not tacky or overbearing like most rom coms are. And yes, I'm probably colored by the fact that it's about baseball too. But Sandlot is. It's in my pantheon of great movies. Not just great sports movies, great movies. I just rewatched it a uh, the couple of weeks ago. It totally holds up. It is a phenomenal all-around film. I, I, it has to go through in my books. To quote Magneto, I agree with everything you said. Then again, you did kill my mother, so... Not literally. That was that's the quote from First Class, but like, ah, this is hard, man. I mean, you know what? Like, I'm I'm gonna put it as I I, I recuse myself because I am way too emotionally invested in Fever Pitch, but then I unrecuse myself because come on, I'm not gonna back away from this. Based on which one, which one has the sport of baseball more at its core. Yaz, forgive me. Sandlot goes through. Oh, I could see how that pains you. There was, there was pain on Ben's face there, people. And there still is, there still is, but there are two things like the, like the, the fact that it, it was a remake that, like, and the fact that it was a soccer remake, soccer's an activity and should be punished as such. But, like, I even enjoyed it, and, like, as a I Leafs... I loved it! Colin Firth is America's British sweetheart! And as a Leafs fan, seeing seeing that thing of, man, the losing team can finally win. The dorky guy Except can the get the girl. Never win ever. <laughs> like, it's possible. It can happen to me. And Drew Barrymore was so great in that movie. Also, speaking of rom-coms, I personally liked You Got Mail more than Sleepless in Seattle, just because You Got Mail was a remake of The Shop on the Corner, which starred Jimmy Stewart. So I kind of love rom-coms. Oh, man, this this one hurts, because I objectively think The Sandlot is a fantastic movie, too. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. So that doesn't give us any... Great magic. job yelling, by the way. That was that was well done by us. That was, that was, got a little bar stool there. <laughs> I mean, I may lose some credibility at the next Red Sox Nation meeting, but you know what? I'm. I think. I think. I think the world. The World Series wins sort of dull the pain of losing a small podcast bracket. Yeah, there you go. You've got the World Series ring to prove that you know the important thing happened. You see, that's the thing. I don't actually own. Of all the Red Sox memorabilia, and there there is tons. There's there's pennants. There's ticket stubs. There's pins. There's a Build a Bear Wally the Green Monster, which is a cherished possession of mine. Um, there's there's a copy of Life magazine from 1941 with Ted Williams on the cover, thanks to my real life girlfriend. I know, right? Wow, marry that girl. I, I'm trying, dude. I'm trying. It's difficult being, you know, six meters apart when you're trying to profess your undying whatever. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, 
This was therapeutic, man. This was. So, I don't think we're going to do any more in the bracket this week, but let's talk no, about I the... think I think... Let's talk about I... our retro game of the week picks. Since okay, you, this... Since you had to give up Fever Pitch, I will let you take the first retro game of the week. How benevolent of you. <laughs> okay, this one, classic game of the week, classic game of the week. I'm going to go 2004 Red Sox-Yankees, the game where Jason Veritek punches A-Rod in the face with his glove. <laughs> because uh, the rest of the game was a fine game. That moment of A-Rod, who's an imposing dude, talking down and just jawing, trying to get to Bronson Arroyo, who underappreciated Red Sox, and exceptional, you know, soft country guitar player, by the way. Him, A-Rod trying to get to Veritech, the, the whole A-Rod drama of was he going to be on the Sox, ends up on the Yankees, the fact that this was peak A-Rod at his A-est of Roddy, and then just getting a face full of catcher's mitt. It, that set the tone, and then some other things set different tones, but that... I. And even you go to the 2018 World Series on the Fox postgame show where Veritek now, a coach with the Sox, you know, visits Big Poppy in the booth and says, hey, A-Rod, what's good? And A-Rod's like, okay, I'm still a little scared of you. Yeah, it did. Uh, that, that was a fun time. And that, that era of Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, I mean, it's a great rivalry whenever they play, but that era, the early 2000s, was just a whole other level of it. And just for those of you who do want to have that specific date, <laughs> I'm just pulling it up right now just to just for the record of so July twenty fourth, two thousand four, if you want to go Google it and watch the punching. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so for mine, I'm going to go back a little further than Ben's. Uh, September 27th of 1998, Jays versus Detroit Tigers. Uh, that is Roy Halladay's one-hitter. Uh, he was a rookie. It was his oh. second start of his career, and he took a no-hitter, eight and two-thirds innings, gives up a home run on what would have been the last out of the no-hitter. I was at that game sitting in the section above where the home run went to. Really? Yeah, right above the Jays' bullpen. I was six wow. years old. I was freaking the F out as I realized I'm seeing a no-hitter. I'm seeing a no-hitter. Holy crap, I'm seeing a no-hitter. I have been to three one-hitters. All of them busted up in the ninth inning. I went to the really? Roy, yeah, I went to the Roy Halladay one-hitter. I went to the Brandon Morrow one-hitter. And I went to the Dustin McGowan one-hitter. Wow. Yep. That is impressive in its own right. I mean, like Halliday was still wearing 52 in that game, right? Yes, he was, because he was a September call-up. Oh, man. And, like, it's... it's you, you feel sad when, you know, like, the like the final, like, the NTSB report comes out about Halliday. He clearly had some shit he was going through, and it's just... It's 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 sad. Like, it's... it, it It's just an... It's unfortunate. We'll we'll, we'll put it, we'll put it that way. And but he gave so many young Canadian baseball fans so many great memories. And even when he went to Philadelphia, he like he won that city over in a heartbeat. Like it, he he just that that is a great rewatch. And I, and yeah, I mean that that is definitely a worthy pick if I've ever. I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, so, Futurama Watch of the Week. Let's talk Futurama. Bum, bum, yes. bum, 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 b
John fucking Zoidberg. <laughs> I mean, I referenced this episode earlier on when I said not in a guilty scent of the crime of burglar and arsony, which the Red Sox were found not in a guilty scent of. Um, Francis X Clampazzo. I mean, it's got the robot mafia. It's it's got you know Bender was a heck of a squealer. Squealer, maybe the best there ever was. It's got Zoidberg getting you know R-rated territorial. <laughs> it's it's got like a Western showdown. It's got one of the best Futurama in jokes. No, I'm just a simple country robot farmer named Billy West. <laughs> Billy West. What a stupid made-up name. Oh, man. That, that is a terrific episode. Uh, for mine, uh, so there is a little bit of context to why I've picked mine. Uh, I've been watching the heck out of Westworld in this quarantine. So, Ooh, nice. Yeah, oh, terrific show. So I am picking a Yul West Brenner is exceptional in it. Wait a minute. I mean, Yul Brenner is exceptional oh. in the 80s movie, but I've been watching the it's heck out of... great movie. <laughs> Over-the-top movie, but I've been watching the heck out of HBO's Westworld. Uh, no Yul Brenner. <laughs> no Yul Brenner, but it does have That's Anthony just... Hopkins. He's, like, not at all Yul Brenner, but he's still awesome. <laughs> yep, and Ed Wood. So two great actors. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I digress. Anyways, I picked a Western-themed episode where the Buggalo roam. I am the man with no name. Zap Radigan, at your service. Yeah. That was a very good episode. Uh, with the Buggalo flying, the, uh, the vocalizing, the dust storms. Uh Kiff coughs on the peace pipe, so they're going to crush him with the bead that they sold the planet for, which turns out to be a gigantic diamond. Oh, we, we have just... no concept of ownership. Our ancestors had no concept of ownership, but we do. We can just buy another planet. <laughs> Call it sacred. Who's going to argue? No one. That's who. Oh, the Mars Day barbecue. Uh, Zoidberg moving in. Ma! Pa! <laughs> Oh, and by the way, I had a chance to ferment your caviar. <laughs> oh, my God, I forgot about that line. That, that line cracks me up every time. Uh, and he takes another crunch. <laughs> okay, I think on that... That is an exceptional episode. I think on that, no, that does it for us this week. So just remember, you can follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at TWIBlearnsBall. Or you could follow either of us on Twitter. I'm at JMS Morris. I'm at Benjamin K. Bloom. And this was a lot of fun, man. For those of you, you know, who joined us, uh, loyal listeners, thank you for listening. For those of you who are new to the podcast, hope this intrigued you. And for all of us here at this week at Learns Ball, thank you so much for joining us. Farewell from the world of tomorrow.